For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. In the passage here, we have a real simple situation taking place. We have a choice to be made. There's a choice to be made here. In this particular case, we have God telling them that there's a tree that they're not permitted to eat. We have Satan, on the other hand, telling them, oh, God doesn't know what he's talking about. The truth is, he's just trying to protect his own glory. He's trying to protect his own self. He doesn't want others to be more like him or be like him. He knows that the day you eat of it, you'll be like him. That's why he's telling you not to eat of it. It's a supernatural tree. I mean, it is a tree that once you eat of it, you'll be like God. Sounds like a lot of those health things and pills we're taking today. You take this and you'll look like Mr. Atlas. I like those commercials where they they show the big belly. And then they show it going... And it's almost like you're going, that's for me. I, that's what I need. And, and that's exactly what the tree of life was in a sense to Adam, uh, to, to Eve, I should say. The devil had convinced her, you eat of this, you'll be like God. You eat of this, it'll solve all your problems. You eat of this, you'll, you'll be amazed how it'll transform your life. Boy, did it ever transform your life. She had a choice to make. And so did Adam. He had a choice to make. And you know what? The truth is, you and I make choices every single day of our life. Everything we do in life, every single day, there are choices choices to be made. One right after the other. This morning, I, I believe that there are choices that we must make concerning faith every single day. We've got to make choices. And, and I want to share four choices we need to make concerning faith. And they're real simple. We won't take real long. But I trust that we'll understand uh, that we have to make these choices if we truly want what God intends for us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you again, Lord, for just the opportunity that we have, Lord, to gather today. It's so good to see your people here. And, Lord, we're asking that you'd bless them. Lord, there may be someone here that has never yet accepted Christ or trusted him as Lord and Savior. Lord, we trust that he would or she would settle that today before it's eternally too late. But, Lord, we are so grateful for the privilege it is to be a part of your family if indeed we have put our trust in you. And we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here and to be lifted up, exhorted, encouraged from the word of God. Now, Lord, be glorified in our midst. And, Father, may we have our ears open. And, Lord, may you anoint my lips and allow me to be your mouthpiece today. Fill me with your spirit. And, Lord, may you just anoint every listening ear that they may hear as well. May your conviction come. May your spirit move. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, we start talking about to choose right. To choose right. Well, I think we need to choose the right person. The first thing is we need to choose the right person. If, if I'm going to say to you, let's choose right today. Let's choose right. I'm not talking about just right in the sense of wrong versus right, but let's make right decisions, good decisions. Well, Let's choose the right person, and that right person would be Jesus Christ. 
That right person would be Jesus Christ. Now, I, I like you, many of you have been out knocking on a number of doors, I'm sure, meeting people in the community. Just this past week alone, just on Wednesday and Saturday, doing knocking doors alone, I met two people, one on Wednesday, one on Saturday, who did not, did not believe that the Bible was the Word of God. Did not believe necessarily that Jesus Christ was God in flesh. Did not really believe the way we believe or the way the Word of God teaches. Now, that, that grieved me and that grieves me. But why is that? Well, you know, we're growing up in a culture and in a society that does not teach the, 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 the Word of God anymore. We've removed it from our schools. We've removed it often even from our very homes. I mean, if I would pull every one of us here and, and all the, the men in the, the, the room that had families here today that are still living in their homes, that have uh, children that are of junior high, high school and children, and said, okay, how many of you uh, ensure that at least once or twice or three times a week you at home sit down with the Word of God and have some sort of family devotion or some time in the Word of God, you'd be amazed how few do. We basically come to church if we're not careful, if we're not very, very honed in and tuned in, and we take our Bible, we set it after church in our car, or we put it on a shelf, or we put it on our coffee table, or we may put it in our room somewhere. And if, if, if we're really, really, really good Christians today, we may pick it up during the week and read it from time to time, a chapter or two maybe. But the fact is, as a whole, in our homes, the Word of God's not being elevated. We're not making it a priority. It's not first place. It's an afterthought most of the time. That, that's, I'm not saying that to try to indict anyone. I'm just stating what I believe to be fact. And again, if we could only poll every family member here to ask that question, I've got to believe a larger majority than don't do that than do do that. More people don't have a time in the Word of God with their family through the week than, than, than do. I would imagine, just from my experience in talking to some. Now, we got a problem then. So we need, we need to choose the right person. Though. You, we're here today, okay? So let's choose the right person. Well, that right person is Jesus Christ. You know, Josephus, he was a, a, Jewish, he was a, a, a Jew who, who did not believe in Jesus Christ, mind you. But he was a historian. And he wrote some different books, okay? He wrote a number of different books. And in his The Antiquity of the Jews, book 18, chapter 3, paragraph 3, this historian, Josephus, writes this concerning Jesus Christ. He says, now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man. He lived back in those days, mind you. It, if it be lawful to call him a man... For, oh, excuse me, let me read from the beginning. Now, there was, a, uh, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man... For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ, and when he was Christ, I should say, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold those these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Isn't that interesting? I mean, this is a historian who's not a believer and not a con uh, has not professed Christ as Savior. And he's telling us about Jesus Christ. He's telling us about his, his person. He's telling us about his work. 
Jesus Christ is a historical person. He lived in those days. He is a real character. He wasn't some facade. He wasn't made up. He's not make-believe. He's not like Jiminy Cricket. He is real. In his correspondence with the emperor, the emperor Trojan, a man, another person, a guy by the name of Pliny the Younger, who he was a lawyer, he was an author, he was a magistrate of ancient Rome. He reported um, concerning his actions against followers of Christ. He had some actions against Christ and the followers of Christ. He asked the emperor for instructions on how to deal with these believers, how to deal with these so-called Christians, and, and, and he wanted them to curse Christ. And he would often use painful tortures to get them to do so. Here's a statement he made, though. Speaking of these Christians, he said, They were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God. And that's something. To sing a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves to a solemn oath not to, to do any wicked deeds but never to commit any fraud, theft, adultery, never to falsify their word, not to deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of a meal, but ordinary and innocent food. Now listen, he's describing the Christian life then. How they made a pact among themselves in these services and said, we're going to live holy. We're going to live separated. We're going to be different than the world. And not only that, we sing our hymns to God, Christ. Isn't that amazing? He recognized that. He saw that. So therefore, he understood. Listen, he understood that Christ existed in those days. And he says, he, they, they, they spoke of Christ, prayed to Christ. They exalted Christ as though he were a God. He was just a man. No, he wasn't. We need to choose the right person. See, when I talk to people at the door and they say things like, well, I don't necessarily know that I believe that Jesus Christ is really who he claimed to be and, and I'm not sure about all that stuff. What they're saying is I'm not choosing the right person. So who are they going to trust in? Who are they going to put their faith in? Who are they going to depend upon? It's going to be themselves. It's going to be another person. It's going to be some institution. It's going to be the government. It's got to be something, someone. But they're not choosing Christ. And may I say today, friend, we need to choose Jesus Christ. Because He is, according to 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy. He is God manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He's the great I Am. He is the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the fairest of 10,000 of my soul. He is altogether lovely. He is the one who is called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the son of righteousness. Jesus Christ is indeed God in flesh. And we must choose him today. Amen. We need to make the right choice. That means we need to choose the right person. Jesus Christ. Number two, we need to choose the right perspective. You say, what's the right perspective? The Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God is scientifically accurate. I spoke to a young man that rode our buses a number of years ago yesterday. He rode about 10 years ago, as a matter of fact. 
just out door knocking, ran into him. He said, I used to go to your church. I went to a number of other churches. He said, you ride one of our buses? Yeah, I rode your buses. He might be watching today. I encouraged him to watch. And, and as we talked, a very, very cordial young man, very kind young man, and we were able to interface and interact very well. But here's the problem. He said that 10 years ago he had come to our church along with a few others, and he'd come to this conclusion on his own because of some horrible things that had happened in his life. He had seen his best friend get hit by a, a truck and some horrible things that had happened in his life. It affected him in a very negative way. And pretty soon he turned his heart against God in a sense. It's not that he doesn't necessarily have a foundation. It's not that he doesn't have a background. It's just that he has made a choice. A choice. To choose not to have the right perspective. See, before it was over with, he doesn't believe the Word of God is written by God. He believes there's something, but what it is, he doesn't know. And I tell you, there's a God in heaven. And he left us a love letter. It's called The Word of God. You need to understand that our perspective ought to be based upon God and His Word. The truth is, the Word of God is scientifically accurate. Do you realize that back in Columbus's day... They thought the world was flat. They thought the world was flat. People would sail off into the wild blue yonder, you know, and people were like, uh-oh, wonder if they're ever coming back. You go too far, you go too long, you fall off the end of the world. And that's how people believed. But you know that the Word of God tells us that God hangeth the earth upon nothing. In Job chapter 26, verse 7. It hangeth the earth upon nothing. Here's Job. But not only that, but the Bible goes on in Isaiah, the prophet. Long before Christ was ever even placed on earth, long before Columbus ever even thought to sail the ocean blue in 1492, he said, it is he, speaking of God, that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. It is God that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Isaiah, Job, how did you know these things? The Spirit of God. And, and they were given to them through the, as the Word of God. And we have them in writing even today. Long before man ever understood that the earth was round, God already knew because He created it. And He shared it with His men. And He put it into a book called the Bible. And today we have that book. It is an authoritative book. It is a scientific book. And it is one we can put our trust in. The Bible is historically accurate. Do you know in the book of Daniel, you know, you read about that king, Belshazzar. Belshazzar hosted this huge, I mean, massive party. And they were having a good time, partying it up, just tearing it up. About a thousand people there at least. And all of a sudden, he saw a hand. And that hand started writing on the wall. Remember that in Daniel chapter 5? Well, this hand writes on the wall, and of course, King Belshazzar, he's really upset. You know, he's really distraught, and he's wondering, what in the world's going on? I wonder what that means. You know, that meeny, meeny, mana, 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 moo? I can't remember how to pronounce it, but it was something crazy. And he couldn't figure it out either, just like I just didn't. And he started asking people, does anybody know how to interpret this? Does anybody tell me what it really means? Guess who stepped up to the plate? Daniel. Daniel stepped up to the plate. And Daniel turned around and he gave him the interpretation of that crazy thing that was written on the wall that day. And here's what was said. 
After that interpretation, it goes on to say, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel, you're now the third ruler in the kingdom. Hmm. That's neat. However, modern-day historians for the longest time, people that were critics and skeptics of the Word of God said, well, wait a second. Babylonian records tell us that that, that must have never really happened the way it happened. I mean, according to, according to the records, the last king of Babylon wasn't Belshazzar. The last king was a guy by the name of Nabonidus. Nabonidus. And, and so they said, well, therefore the Bible's an error. It can't be true. Since there wasn't a name by Belshazzar recorded in Babylonian history, they said it, he never existed. So this is really a mess. Well, it's funny how archaeologists continue to dig. And you know, back in 1853, they amazingly found an inscription on a cornerstone of a temple built by Nabonidus. On his own structure, there they found on the corner of that temple built by him to the god Ur, mind you, it said this, May I, Nabonidus, king of Babylon, not sin against thee, and may reverence for thee dwell in the heart of Belshazzar, my firstborn favorite son. Oh, wait. You mean Belshazzar did exist. As a matter of fact, it even gets better. From the inscriptions as they started uncovering more and more, they found out that Belshazzar and Nabonidus were co-regents. What happened was Nabonidus, he was out moving around, running around, traveling, going from different province to province, while all along Belshazzar remained back at the throne. Wait a second. Here it is now. So now there are co-regents, historically proven in Babylonian archaeology. And Daniel was made what? Third ruler in the kingdom. Wow. How'd that happen? The word of God's true. It's historical. It's, it's, it's accurate. You take Genesis to Revelation, you look at those books all the way through. They're, they're, they, they, they fit together like a glove. They fit like a glove. I mean, think about this. 66 different books. 40 different men that God used to pen the Word of God over a 1,600-year period. And yet it still dovetails and interacts and locks in. This book right here is God's Word. And you know what? If you want the proper perspective, you need to make the right choice. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. We could spend a number of hours talking about it, but we need not. But the fact is today is that the right person is Jesus Christ and the right perspective is the Word of God. You want to know what to believe? You want to know what's right and wrong? You want to know where you ought to stand on a particular situation or circumstance or maybe issue? You need to go to the Word of God. It'll give you the right perspective. It'll help you to understand from the proper place where to stand, seeing things through God's eyes, understanding things through God's Word. The right person, Jesus Christ. The right perspective, the Word of God. And then we come to the next choice. We need to choose the right practice. The right practice. 
So what's the right practice? Simple. Obedience. Amen. Obedience. See, if Jesus Christ, and I believe he did, lives, and he was a historical person, a, a, an actual man that lived who was God in flesh, that he rose again the third day as we say and claim that he did, and we have the right person, Jesus Christ, in our life as Lord and Savior, and we have the right perspective. We carry with us the old King James Bible. And we know it's true from cover to cover. We know that it has no errors. We know that it is God's word given to man. Then this next one ought to be a little bit simpler than we make it. We ought to choose the right practice then. Because see, the word of God outlines where and how we ought to live. It's very clear. I didn't say it was easy. I just said it's clear. Obedience brings blessing in our life. That's as simple as it is. All you have to do is look at a child in a home. You're a parent. You have a child. When they are rebellious and disobedient, no matter what age they are, it creates what? Friction and problems. It makes life tough for them, makes tough, life tough for you. Right? It's real simple. It's not difficult. It's not complicated. If the child is obedient to the authority of the parent, then guess what? Things run smooth in homes. But if the child is rebellious, disobedient, then there is nothing but friction and problems. Why is it that in our lives, as the children of God, we somehow think that there will be no friction, that everything will be perfectly fine, even if we are rebellious and disobedient to God and His rules? Why do we come to that conclusion? Why do we think that somehow we can escape the punishment or chastening of God's hand according to Hebrews 12, when in reality, in our own children's lives, we say, for their own good, I must discipline because I don't want them to grow up to be criminals. Why, why do we think we are different when God uses the family unit as a microcosm of His greater family, the family of God? He being Father, we being the children. Obedience brings blessing. We find this early on in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8. It says, The book of the law shall not depart out of my, thy mouth, but, shall, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Wow. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Oh, I know. But the truth is, is that throughout the Word of God, we've always been required and demanded to follow through with the moral laws that God has had. God doesn't get rid of, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt... Those things, you telling me those aren't on the books anymore? We can go out and do whatever we want? Hey, by the way, husband, you're allowed to go commit adultery now because it's, it's not under the law. You're under grace. Every wife would go, you're a nutcase. We're never going back to that church if that's what you're going to preach. And I'd say, you are on the money, ma'am. I'm a nutcase if I preach that and teach that. Because God doesn't preach and teach it. God says we're still to maintain that law. We're still to ensure that we live a moral life. We're still to measure up to a standard that exceeds this of, that, of this world that we live. And the truth is today is that God says, if you'll obey my word, if you'll follow in my steps, if you'll fulfill my, my principles and you'll live by my laws, you will be blessed. Amen. He says, but thou shalt meditate day and night. What? Into the Word of God. 
All the way back to Joshua. His people again. We're his people. We're not Israel. Don't misunderstand me. We don't take their place. They're still God's people. But we're also his people through the new birth. And he says, now that you have this book, meditate on it day and night. You, you have the right perspective. You have the right person. Now guess what? Meditate on this perspective. Consider what I say. Allow it to be brought home in your life. Allow it to really take hold in your life. Allow it to take root in your life and, and, and observe to do. Don't just know the truth. Do the truth. And then thou shalt have good success, he says. God's people have always been blessed when they've obeyed the word of God. And again, to know the truth is not enough. We have to apply the truth. James 1.22 says, But be ye... <coughs> excuse me. But be... <coughs> excuse me. Whew. Hold on. Let me, let me try to get that out because this is a hard thing to get out. <coughs> I'm going to clear my throat one more time. But be ye doers of the word. And not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. You say, why did you make such a big deal of that doer? Because the truth is, we all, most of us in this room, know some things that we ought to be (coughs) doing. That we don't do. Because what? We choose not to. The only problem is, we also... Cut off the blessings of God in our life. You've got to understand there's a trade-off here. It's not what you, you or I intend to do, but what we really do that makes a difference. That's what we really do. You know, I had every intention of going to work today. Guess what? That intention will not pay the bills. It's not going to pay the bills. You can intend to go to work every day, but it's not going to pay the bills. You've got to go to work. I had every intention of exercising this morning. Well, you know, that intention will not get the weight off, nor will it keep you fit. And f- not going to work. It's not, it's not the intention, it's the doing. Right? Well, I had every intention of remaining faithful to my wife and family. Well, that intention will not bring comfort to those left in the wake of your indiscretion and sin. Well, I know he really meant well. I know she meant well. I take great comfort in knowing it really was never her intention to be unfaithful. Really? Honestly. You really think that's how you feel? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I can't express to you right now how I'd feel because it probably wouldn't be politically correct. And I don't even want to consider where I might end up going with all that. It may not be politically correct. But let me tell you something. I wouldn't just go, well, (laughs) her intentions were good. God bless her. Praise the Lord. I think well of all. No, 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 I wouldn't do that. I'm sorry. I'd have a hard time with that one. You know what? Again, it's not what we intend to do. It's what we do. And you know, the Bible simply says this. If we're going to make some choices today in our faith, then let's, let's choose the right practice. I mean, we've chosen the right person, Jesus Christ. We've chosen the proper perspective, the Word of God. Now let's choose the right practice, obedience. And finally, number four. 
Let's choose the right problem. Is it the right problem? I don't like problems. I, don't, I would never choose a problem. Well, unfortunately, according to the book of Job, chapter 5, verse 7, we all have them, and there's no way of escaping them. According to Job 5, 7, the Bible says, Yet man is born into, unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. So what he's saying is this. Uh, just picture your life like a fire. The sparks are flying up. There's your problems. Have you ever been to a fire and never saw a spark fly up in the air? Not me. Everyone I go to, I see sparks. They just see pop, crackle, flying up all over, right? Every one of us have problems in our life. Guess what? That's the lot of man. It's a lot of women. Every one of us. Every one of us have issues. Every one of us has problems. And that's just the way life is. So here's the case. If indeed we all have problems, and we do, biblically, scripturally, it's proven. It's, it's very sound. I mean, again, we've already proven the right perspective or, or chosen the right perspective. So we don't have to go back and say, well, I don't know if I believe the Bible is really God's word. And, no, it is. Therefore, we've already made it. So now we know, without a doubt, emphatically, that every one of us is going to have problems no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do. So let's... Let's choose the right problem. Is it, well, I don't get it still. Okay, let's, let's, let's not talk about the problems that we create on our own by being rebellious and disobedience. Let's not, let's not go there. Let's just throw those out. Although those are probably 99% of the problems that we have. They're self-induced. Amen. Most of the time. And then there are others, you know, maybe from time to time in our life where there's a stretch where it's not our problem, you know. We're, we're just, we kind of get in on it. We just at the right place at the right time. Or should I say wrong place at the wrong time. It just seems like everything's just falling apart. And you can't control it. It's nothing you did, maybe. But the most of the things we deal with are self-inflicted weariness. We cause most of our problems. However, there are some that we just have. We can't get around them. They're just going to happen. And since we're going to face those problems either way, I think it's important that we understand that we need to decide what problems we're going to face. Here we go. Let's make a couple choices. First of all, let's choose... To face conflict with the world is the choice you have to make. To choose conflict with the world or lose fellowship with God. That's the choice you have to make. Now listen, those are tough issues. You say, where's the problem at? Well, first of all, when you choose conflict with the world, there's problems, right? I mean, let's face it. It's a mess. You know, um, I, we need to choose conflict with the world. What do you mean? Well, I go to work and they say, guess what? If you want to continue to keep this job, you've got to fit in a little bit better. That means you have to come to our parties, and that means you have to drink, and that means you have to have a social drink. That means you're going to have to kind of change the way you think because right now you don't fit in good. When we go out on the golfing outing with all of, all of us execs, you know, everybody likes to have a drink, and here you are sitting with a Coca-Cola. That's not sitting well with me. As your boss, I'd like you to fit in a little bit better. And you say, um, well, um, I, I don't, I'm a Christian, and I don't want to lose fellowship with the Lord. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't drink. I don't, I don't do that. I, can I show you a verse or two maybe? I don't want to see the Bible. I just want you to understand, if you're going to keep this job, you, hey, I, you know what? I decide, if I'm going to have problems in my life anyway, I'd rather have problems with the world than problems with God. That's my decision. You're going to have problems anyway, why don't you choose the right problem? Someone says, that's crazy. You have to have a job. You have to make money and you have to... Support your family, and you have to do this, so you have to compromise. Go ahead. But let me tell you, it's a choice you make. You're going to choose. You, you're going to have, hey, if the world hate you, 
Ye know that it hated me before it hated you, Jesus said. What choice did he make? I can't please the world. I've got to please the Father. I want fellowship with the Father. I'm more concerned about my fellowship with the Father than I am my fellowship with the world. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, James 4.4 4 it says, Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity with God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Do you know what that means? That means that when we're a friend with the world and their philosophies, their ideology, their, their, their ideas, guess what? We become the enemy of God. I don't want to be the enemy of God. I choose. If I'm going to have problems, I'll just go ahead and have conflict with the world then before I'll lose my fellowship with God. He says, Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Enemy. I don't want to be the enemy of God. Man, I've got enough problems. I don't need to have God as my enemy. I'd rather the world hate me than God to say, You're not in my camp, brother. You're messing up. I can't bless you. And I don't want that. There's a, there's a choice. How about this one? To bear a cross now or to forfeit a crown later. Okay, that's a choice we make. You say, where's the, where's the problem there? Well, anytime you are going to bear a cross, that's a problem. I mean, as far as the world's concerned, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, to know that you're going to deal with something, you're going to have to face an issue. Just like that situation with that job where that guy's saying, basically, if you can't fit in with us drinking or partying or going to these kind of places, uh, we're going to have this get-together over here at such and such lounge. Well, I don't go to bars. Okay, wait a second now. You've got a cross to bear, friend. You're going to have to maybe bear a cross. But if you do, if you don't bear the cross, now that's a problem, mind you. Don't let anybody kid you. When you stand for Jesus Christ, uh, when, you, when you do these things, there, there's issues. There's problems involved in that sometimes. Man, you find yourself in tough spots sometimes, and you've got to depend on God to overcome and to give you victory and all that. Hey, that's not always easy, but hold on. What's the alternative? Well, the other problem is this, then. You, you forfeit a crown later. What you could have had for eternity, you lost. That's a bigger problem, in my opinion. It's an eternal problem. It's one that, oh man, I just wish I'd have made the right choice here and, it, and took the problem right now for a period of time, a temporal period, versus giving up an eternal crown. How about, how about this? To live righteously now or face regret for eternity. It is not easy to live righteously in the world in which we live, let's face it. You can't walk down the street without seeing a billboard or something that is just downright lewd and indecent. I mean, there's not, it's just, it's tough, isn't it? It's a constant battle to keep your mind focused on good and right and the things of God. It, it's tough getting around people because people are so quick. I was knocking doors the other day, like I said the other day, and, and I, I was talking to a person, and as, during the course of the conversation, their, their, their guard started dropping. You know, when you first, oh, you're the pastor, you know, or, or you're from the church, or, and then they're trying to be respectful, and they're talking to you kindly. And they were still very kind to me, don't misunderstand. But before it was over with, man, the words started flying, because that's how they talk all the time. And, and after talking to them about five, ten minutes, I noticed that the words started flowing off the lips. And it was just every other word then. This world, and blank this, and blank that, and this thing, and blank this, and all... And I, and I didn't say, you dirty, rotten sinner, what's your problem? I didn't do that. Because listen, this is their world. This is what we, they live. But let me tell you, when you're around it at work all the time, and that's what you're dealing with at work, 
And I know everybody thinks their job and their situation is the worst. Oh, if I could only work at the church. Oh, you should hear these guys around here. But the, the fact is, is that no matter where you go, you're going to face these issues and obstacles. But listen, you've got to live righteously. You've got to somehow overcome it. You can't fall tra- prey to it. You can't allow yourself to be caught up in it. You've got to stay separated. You've got to stay faithful. You've got to stay righteous. Because if you don't as a believer, I mean, here you are. And then we close this message. It's done. But we've chosen the right person, Jesus Christ. I mean, we have the right perspective, the Word of God. We're making the right choices to be obedient to God. If we don't live righteously, if we don't fulfill and follow after the Lord Jesus Christ as He intends, one day, without doubt, we will regret it. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. 1 John 2.28 And you know, the Bible says simply, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to be judged by God. We're going to face our Creator and face our Savior. We're going to face Him eye to eye. And if we don't live righteously and holy, we will regret it. It's not easy to live that way in this world. It's a problem to live like that in this world. It's tough. But then again, I think a bigger problem would be to stand with regret for eternity for not choosing the right choice now, making the right choice now. See, there's problems. We're all going to have them. You might as well choose the right problem. The right person, Jesus Christ, the right perspective, the Word of God, the right practice, obedience, the right problem, A cross now or a crown later. Let's take the crown. The acceptance of the world or fellowship with God. I'll take the fellowship. All I'm saying is God help us today to make make right choices. Right choices. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? You need to settle that. It would be something you could get saved today, right now, this morning, get baptized, settle it all, be done. We're going to have our baptism. We're going to send everybody out the door to get baptized, get them all ready to go right now. But let me tell you, you've got to get first thing settled, and that's your salvation. You've got to know for sure heaven's your home. You need to know that Christ is your Lord. You need to know that God is your Father. Settle that before it's eternally too late. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're being baptized today with every head bowed and every eye closed...